Hey everyone, welcome back. It is that time of the week again. It is another episode of Game Talk Radio with me, your host, Greg, my co-host, John. How you doing today, John? I am good. I'm done working. Yeah. <laughs> hey, you said you had an extra long day today and you have an extra long day tomorrow. Yeah, it'll be a good time. I'll have less than 12 hours uh, outside of work. Nice. And now since it's, and since it's not holiday, you're getting your, your fat extra pay? Yeah, actually, I, I am going to get a little bit better paid tomorrow. So, yay. Nice. <laughs> Sweet. So that's, you work hard for the money. So yep. hard for it, honey. <laughs> hey, hey. Uh, so, we have a lot to talk about today. Uh, first, we have to talk about the Last of Us 2 story. We have to follow up from last week because... We made, you were, you were right. You know, I went on Twitter and I said, oh, we have to do a retraction because we were wrong. And you were right. It wasn't that we were wrong. We, we went on a conversation about a possibility and the possibility ended up not being true. And so we're going to, we're going to finish up. We're going to talk about what actually happened with the last of us two leaks. We're not going to spoil it. We're not going to talk about the leaks. We're just, because I don't know them. And we're just going to talk about what is going on with the situation. Um, And then we're going to talk about. Oh, uh, a pretty, pretty big deal uh, about the Doom Eternal soundtrack. And then we're going to talk about the one and the only, the Billy Mitchell saga continues, John. I don't know if you know this. I made my YouTube career off Billy Mitchell. <laughs> kind of like ba- the Tim Burton Batman, you know, where uh, where uh, they have that conversation and he's like, you made me. And he's like, <laughs> he's like, I made you for, or, you know, I made you and you made me. Um, but you made me first. So it's it's like it's similar to that where I, I'm growing Billy Mitchell's reach because so many people are just enamored with him. But he also propelled my YouTube career. A lot of people don't know this, but we weren't at a thousand views yet. When when we started our YouTube channel drop rate, you just had to get to a hundred subscriptions and then you could monetize your channel. And then okay. we we were sitting at a I think we were at like three or 400 maybe. And then all of a sudden they changed it and you had to be at a thousand and anybody who wasn't at a thousand was going to be demonetized. So you couldn't earn money anymore. And it was, it was a big deal, you know? And so we're like, well, that sucks. And that was set to go into effect. Um, like in, on April of 20, it had to be April of 2018, I think. Okay. And so in February, I believe it was February of 2018, I did my first like Billy Mitchell video and it pushed us over. Like I did really good with the videos and it pushed us over a thousand. We got a ton of subs right away. And so anyway, long story short, uh, Billy and I have a complicated relationship. I try not to talk to about him too much. I haven't done a video on him since last September. I had to look that up actually last September. And I would be fine if I never did another video on it, but the case continues. So we have to talk about it and Hey, I'll take those free internet views. I'm going to try so. not to say anything that will get us a libel lawsuit. Yeah, exactly. Keep, <laughs> keep, keep, be aware that we're talking about him doing defamation lawsuits against other people. So I'm surprised. Like I jokingly <laughs> said that back in September, but I'm kind of surprised I didn't at least get a letter, you know, saying something like, Oh, cease and desist, take your video down. Billy's <laughs> offended by your views. Uh, but it's, but believe me, I've taken my shots. I mean, I was, uh, there's a, there's like a, a radio DJ. I guess he's like a, he's like a comedy, he's a comedy show co-host on some really popular, like East coast, uh, comedy show. 
And his name. Are you talking about Johnny or John B? No, it's it's East East Side Dave. <laughs> East Side. Dave. Okay. So apparently, he well he he does his own YouTube show, and he must know Billy or something, and he had Billy on there, and I talked a little bit about it, and I said. I said something along the lines because I was watching his interview with Eastside Dave and I was watching it going through like I do. Like it's essentially a reaction video, but I was watching the video and then okay. commenting on it. And as I'm watching it, you know, I'm like, oh, and what I meant to say was I meant to say Eastside Dave. He's trying to do a comedy show like Conan where like it's meant to be funny and they're in on it. Like because he was saying things to Billy like in a comedic way, like he wasn't trying to get a serious interview out of Billy Mitchell. Right. Okay. And, and so I said that but the way I worded it, which to be fair to him was not very nice. I said, Oh, he's like Conan O'Brien, except not funny. <laughs> <laughs> so, so he took offense to that. And actually he, he, I made his shiz list, which apparently like every week he has a shiz list and he picks out like three people and he craps on them. And I got crapped okay. on and he actually played my video of watching his video of Billy. And, uh, and, and then, they made fun of me because all of a sudden one night I'm just, you know, I'm sitting at home, I'm enjoying TV, sitting on my phone. And all of a sudden our YouTube channels are just getting a bunch of comments on my video. And I'm like, why is this all of a sudden coming out of nowhere? You know? And every comment was like the stuff that he was making fun of me for, which was like, like, like in the video, I had my headphones around my neck instead of on my head okay. or off my head. And, uh, and so they kept making fun of me for that. And like, they made fun of me for being fat, of course, and everything. So it was really funny. Sure. Um, Yes, very, very, very professional. Uh, but it was very, but it was funny. And actually, I was really nervous. I went in to watch that, thinking it was going to really hurt my feelings, and I was going to be really upset by it. And I actually did laugh. So I don't know why okay. my brain was able to like accept that criticism and and not hate it, but it was. And so it was, it was good. Uh, and and so I've taken my lumps in the Billy Mitchell saga. Uh, but we'll talk a little bit more about that. When how many? We get there. How many followers does that guy have? Oh, Eastside Dave? Yeah. Well, let me take a look here. We got time. Because I'm just thinking, like, does he have a real does he have a real show on a radio station? And if so, like, so does, his... doesn't he have anything better to do? <laughs> you would think. Shit about you. So <laughs> his, I don't, I don't, how do you see, I don't know if I can see how many. So he's got, um... Let's see. About is that where it's going to be here? He's got 1.7 million views on his channel. Okay. Um, which, I mean, we we've got more than that. I think actually. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, let's see. Okay, he he's in part of the morning rat race on New Jersey's legendary rock station WART. Uh, he's a multimedia radio, internet, and TV star. He was on True TV and Spike. Ooh. Um. Damn it! What, uh, channels. Let's see if this is. It's just weird because I don't. I go to home and I thought normally. You know what? I'll subscribe to it just for a second. Maybe I can see how many subs <laughs> he has if I subscribe to him. <laughs> uh, I, I don't. Oh, you're gonna make a shiz list again by by subscribing <laughs> un, unsubscribing. You're like this dick unsubscribed this, this to is, me. What is wrong with this guy? Um. Maybe I can search it. Hold on. Let me let me try this again. It's not, it, it literally isn't telling so me how many it... subs he has. That's so weird. Are you going to tag him in the video so that way it drags him into it again? No. No, I don't <laughs> I'm 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 happy that I'm done with it. But like for instance, a day ago he put up 
Father David's third 3 a.m. quarantine wrestling promo, and it has 32 views in one day. So he's averaging about the same amount of views I get per video. (laughs) All right. (laughs) It's whatever. Anyway. He's big stuff. Yeah, he's he's big time. He's big time. But it was all fun. All all fun. End games. Uh, And and here's the thing. He's a comedy guy. I'm not going to get offended by a comedy guy. I'd be like if Howard Stern starts making fun of you, and you're like, you know, okay. I mean, this is job to make fun of people. So it's all good. Uh, so with that being said, though, quickly, uh, we're going to talk about I have not been playing anything. Uh, I'm just going to shoot this right out right away. I'm playing a little bit of Animal Crossing, doing my daily stuff. But I am not. I, I'm I'm back at work now. We've started doing curbside pickup. And we started that on Monday, but I was already working on things like last Saturday, Sunday. And I am burned, man. Like I got the I got the platinum for seven and I haven't done anything like, like I'm just, I'm toast. And I thought I almost started playing <laughs> final fantasy six. Like I have the GBA version and I put it okay. on my retron and I was, I had it hooked up to my TV so I could play it on my TV and I was like, I'll play this. And then I, I just didn't. So I haven't been playing anything, uh, played a little bit more Warzone over the weekend, played some call of duty, but other than that, not too much, but you, on the other hand, you have been playing some stuff. Uh, what, what are you up to? What, what's been keeping you busy? So I got, and I think you also got these, um, I got the core graphics, uh, Turbo Graphics 16 import, and then I also picked up the Neo Geo Mini International. Uh, Amazon had it for thirty bucks, and so I think you did. You buy one of those as well? I did. Well, I bought two of them, but not. I already had one. Just to toss in the store, yeah. Yeah, I, I already, I already had a couple, and they're actually already back up to sixty bucks. So it was they, a neat, neat little sale. They keep yo-yoing back and forth. Are they? Oh, okay. Yeah, so I've I've seen it go uh, go down to thirty like three or four times. So the uh, I'm mostly going to talk about the core graphics because um, one of the consoles I bought sucks, and the other one doesn't. <laughs> um, so the Neo Geo, it's uh, the the game list is weird. Um, it's really fighter heavy, but you don't get a controller in the box. You just have the little tiny arcade unit um you don't get an hdmi cable to be able to output it to a tv also the hdmi that you need is a mini hdmi oh and are you serious okay well yeah it's got a whole well, bunch of issues i'm sure it's got a it's a form factor reason but it's like you can't just go to a store and buy those um so i haven't been able to put it to my tv um and it's just the game list is funky um it's really, really side, or fighter heavy, and it's also brawler heavy. Uh, and then there's a couple side-scrolling shooters that are decent, but otherwise, for thirty bucks, not a bad deal. But don't spend a hundred dollars on it like it was for a long time. Uh, uh, the Turbo Graphics 16, however, uh, or the Core Graphics is the one that I've got, is pretty awesome. Uh, I ordered it from Amazon Japan last Tuesday. And they got it to me on Friday, which is amazing because I did not pay extra shipping or for faster shipping. And I have ordered crap from American Amazon that has taken three weeks for them to put it in a box lately. So it's kind of (laughs) crazy that Japan's like, yeah, we'll have it to you in two days. Um, So form factor wise, it looks just like the Super Nintendo, regular Nintendo, uh, genesis like the little mini systems uh looks great next to all those little consoles um and the game list there's some great games on here but there's also some really bizarre additions like snatchers on here 
which would be awesome if it was in English. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so like none of it is translated, and so you, like short of busting out a translation guide, you really can't get anywhere in a lot of these games. Like there's um, there's like a weird like Monopoly type uh, train game that they put on here and it's all completely in Japanese. And so it's very, very, very much not playable. Uh, but then there's also some, uh, there's some great ones. Like it's very shooter heavy. If you like side scrolling or vertical scrolling shooters, the TurboGrafx 16 minis are going to be very, very worth owning. Uh, it's got Gradius one and two. Um, it's got, uh, my, one of my favorite game series of all time is the, Paradis series, which is a parody of Gradius, and I was not aware of the fact that there's a TurboGrafx-16 uh, nice. Paradis game that I've never played before. Uh, and it, like, you get to select Bomberman as a player, or you can select, I think, Vic Viper as one of the characters, and then also uh, a PC Engine. It, so you get to play as a little flying, <laughs> they call him like PC Coon. Nice. And all of the power-ups are PC engine based. So your shield is controllers that spin around your ship as you're flying around. And uh, the the power-ups are the hue cards, the little game cartridges. That's awesome. So That's yeah, great. that game is fantastic. Uh, there's a game that you have at your store, or at least had. Uh, you had a copy of Ginga Fukai Densetsu Sapphire. Yes. Uh, Very did you ever sell game. that? I did. I did. Wow, that's surprising, because uh, it's expensive as hell. Yes, and um, it's probably worth a lot more now than it was when I sold it. But you know, yeah, that's, I looked, that's the game. I looked it up, and it was—it's uh, like a fifteen hundred dollar game. Yeah, and yep, it is definitely on here. Yeah, I recognized um, that right away when I looked at the back of the box, like that white and purple. Like I saw it right away, and I was like, "Ooh, I don't know what this is." Yeah, when I fired it up, and it like. The first level is so inspired by Blade Runner. It's really cool. Like the the inspiration as far as uh, flying over like the cities that have like holograms projecting above nice. skyscrapers and like the like Coca Cola esque like billboards and stuff. Um, so I thought that was really neat. Um, you get the uh, so TurboGrafx sixteen had a super graphics console. Yes, that is really rare. And it had five games. We had and, one of those in the box at the store a few years ago. Damn. Yeah. Did you have any of the games for it? No. <laughs> okay. No. So yeah, there was only five games. And I think one of them was Super Street Fighter. Uh, or one of the Street Fighters. Uh, there was a Super Ghouls and Ghosts. And I think one of them was even a, like... Uh, it was a Darius game that you had to mail away to get or something like that. Um, it, and one of the games is on here, which is the version of, um, Super Ghouls and Ghosts, which is the reason I wanted that console, because Super Ghouls and Ghosts is one of my favorite side-scrollers. Sure. What are you, oh, uh, my God. Ugh. Ugh. Not a fan? <laughs> I love the game. It's just so, it's so hard. I could, it could never be my favorite, because it's so yeah. annoyingly hard, but, but it is, it is a great game, especially the arcade versions and the later ones. Like, the NES port's pretty terrible, but... The um, like the later ones were very good. The SNES port is really good. Um, this one's weird. Like the color is very different, which surprised me. 
Um, it's a far more muted, like almost like tans and grays instead of like your gold armor. Hmm. So it, it looks a lot different, which just surprised me. Um, it's got a great version of Ninja Gaiden on it. And then uh, Dracula X Rondo of Blood is on here, which I I haven't played Rondo of Blood on the Turbo Graphics. I've only ever played it via the PSP re-release. Oh, sure. And sure. The PSP re-release, like, they shouldn't have done, like, they should have let you just play the regular game rather yeah, than making yeah. you play the 3D up, upscale of it because it doesn't have a lot of charm to it. And you have to work really hard to unlock the regular versions of the game in that yeah. PSP one. Yep, yep. And I just couldn't do it. And the actual game on here is really cool. And I would say the only drawback of that game was that I was still doing a lives system. And so like you had to play, play the game with only three lives. So short of that, that game is phenomenal. Um, so yeah, I, I would say, uh, the core graphics PC, uh, engine mini turbo 16 console is very worth owning. Just don't buy it. If you want to play snatcher in English, Yes, and you could probably get by with a translation sheet on that game because there's not really any urgency to anything. Like, the urgency comes from some of the action sequences, but for the mm -hmm. most part, you could have a sheet up saying, like, oh, what are these options? But I, I totally agree. The Sega CD version is the is obviously superior. So. But, uh, yeah, and so the Turbo the TurboGrafx-16 Mini, the cool thing about it, for anyone who doesn't know, is that all of the games on all the versions are the same. So if you get the Japanese one, it has all the English Turbo games on it and all the Japanese games. If you get the U.S. Yep. one, it has all the U.S. games plus all the Japanese language games. It's pretty cool. Um, they, they look differently because they, they look different because they're different designs based on the region, but the game lists are all the same. So that's pretty cool of them to do. Uh, I'm surprised they didn't. I'm surprised they didn't change them but i'm glad it didn't you know important note really quick if anybody's going to go out and buy it uh it's actually not that bad price wise it's 100 bucks and it was 10 bucks shipping um so i was set on buying the pc engine mini at first which is the and japanese then my, one yes so the pc engine mini is white the core graphics that i bought is a uh, gray or black and then the turbo graphics 16 is very different looking uh and that's the one we got in the u.s so I wanted to get, since, uh, since I wanted to have, I'm buying an import, I wanted to get one of the other region versions we didn't get. And I was going to buy the PC engine. And then my friend Kevin, who I talk about way too much, um, he reminded me that <laughs> the PC engine version does not have turbo buttons on the controller. They made a turbo controller, but you'd have to buy it separately. Yep. Whereas the core graphics comes with the turbo controller in the box, which is so um, weird. Like what a, what a weird, I mean, I guess it's, it's for authenticity, but you would have yeah. thought for simplicity's sake, they would have just changed the color of that controller and just put, made them all turbo or not turbo, but yeah, but the, the turbo buttons really do make a difference on the turbo graphic graphic 16 games. Cause like bonk, for instance, if you jump, if you just press the jump button, he jumps. If you have the turbo controller and you have the turbo set, he will jump, but then he will also do like a barrel roll in the air that will that will do damage and move you along. So you have like this weird float move that he does, which you wouldn't see if you weren't using the turbo controller. So you could do it if you rapidly hit the button, though. 
Yes, but but it would like things to do. It's that. not something. <laughs> yeah, it it wasn't something I immediately thought to do because um, I was messing around with my actual TurboGrafx 16 about a week or two ago, and I turned on that game and the turbo buttons, and I was like, oh crap! I didn't even know he did this because I had never used the turbo buttons before. So so yeah, it to me it seems like it would be very much worth it to get one with the turbo buttons. Nice, I agree. Might as well for the same price. I mean, why not? And I yeah. actually think that the the European version looks nicer. I, I I like the black color better anyway. Like that was the white. The white always bugged me with the PC engine. But all right. So yes, yeah, so we got a couple stories. We're gonna we're gonna hit those, and then we've got our pickup piles of the week, which I actually don't have anything. But John has a few, thankfully. Mostly what yep. we just talked about, I think. <laughs> um, but John has a couple, and then we have our games of the week picked out. And then that's it. We're gonna hit it. Uh, two of the stories can be kind of long. There's a lot of there's a lot of reading for me in the first story. Ha! I knew <laughs> not being able to read would pay off someday. <laughs> someday. <laughs> um, Suck it. <laughs> that's what you get, <laughs> you sucker. Um, and so we will. Uh, I'm gonna read. I'm gonna read a bunch of the story. I'm gonna try to include as much as I can, and that's the Doom Eternal stuff because Bethesda had a, cr- a crazy thing. But we're gonna start by talking about the Last of Us Two. Uh, so if you remember last week, we talked about how the Last of Us Two. The rumor was that a disgruntled employee over a contract dispute had leaked a majority of the game, and so it's officially official. So five days ago, so just two days after we recorded that, and I actually ended up making the video private after that. I was like, I, don't, I mean, this is just. It's just us riffing on something that's not true anyway, so we might as well just um, like uh, unlist it. But but basically, the uh, Last of Us Two leaker has been caught, and it's not a disgruntled Naughty Dog employee. So unfortunately, Sony can't say who it is due to an impending investigation. But Sony has identified the people, and that's plural, responsible for the massive Last of Us Two leaks, and it's not the rumored disgruntled Naughty Dog employee, according to a report from Polygon. This is the quote. Uh, SIE, that's Sony, has identified the primary individuals responsible for the unauthorized release of The Last of Us 2 assets. They are not affiliated with Naughty Dog or Sony, and we are unable to commit further because the information is subject to an ongoing investigation. As GamesRadar previously reported, a ton of information about Last of Us 2 leaked in late April, including cutscenes, a list of the levels, and spoilers for the entire plot. <laughs> and apparently they're everywhere, too. I've been talking to people that are, are running across them all over the place. I just have to make it one more month. A month and a half, and I can and I can stop worrying about the internet. Um, uh, now it's clear this is uh, it seems like more than one person was involved based on Sony's statement, which refers to the guilty party as individuals. It's not clear whether we'll find out who these people are or how they seem to have gotten their hands on what looks like an internal Naughty Dog build. We will definitely find out who this is at some point. Uh, there's now, no more... oh yep they they say we won't find out how they got access to it, but the rumor that I heard was that um, there was basically server password information embedded in the uh, the game code for both Last of Us uh, from 2013 and uh, and from or actually the remaster and for Uncharted 4 and that information allowed them to access their servers 
and pull data off of their Interesting. servers. See, that that seems very realistic to me. And I've also heard, too, that it was through a phishing scam even, too. Like, with all the work-from-home stuff, that they were yeah. they, they just, just a, a basic phishing scam just for someone to log, and then to be able to log into the servers and do whatever they had, or to log in somewhere where there was maybe, uh, like, some sort of asset dump where they were able to go in there and get things like that, you know? And it might even have been, since it was such an early build, it obviously wasn't anything current. But it could have been, I mean, I don't think it's something like Dropbox. Obviously, they have their own internal servers for that sort of thing. But you could see that. Like, you could see someone phishing, getting the info to those servers, and then hopping on and seeing an old build or something. So, because you would, would think hope if, that, uh, I would hope that people in the tech industry would be slightly savvier about phishing scams. You'd think so. You really would think so, wouldn't you? Um, but anyway, that was just, we just want to do that quick follow up because. Uh, we were so off on it last week that I had, I had to set the record straight. I didn't feel good about that at all. And it actually kind of pissed me off because, you know, we do that. We record this on a Wednesday night. And when I was recording this on, you know, Tuesdays, it was always, Oh, the news would always come out the next day. And now we're doing it on Wednesdays. And, oh, Friday's the big news dates. Come on. Now I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't I, like that doesn't bother me as far as like that story being wrong because I I said in that story that it sounded sounded like somebody was conflating the stories of the Naughty Dog, uh, the Crunch story, and the Gearbox story and mashing them together, and that's exactly what it ended up being, basically. Um, the thing yeah. I found weird was that Jason Schreier kind of amplified that idea when when they were talking about the leak... Jason Schreier was tweeting like kind of almost like a, well, that's what you get for, for being mean to your employees type attitude. Well, he, yeah, he was saying, well, what he was saying was no matter how disgruntled you are, whatever, you shouldn't do that to your, like to your coworkers and stuff, you know, and to the fans. And so that, that insinuation is what really led me to believe it was possible. I mean, I I will, I will admit that. And then it just shows like, you can't really trust anybody necessarily with that info, but I am surprised that he was tweeting like that because you would assume he would know something. That's why he would tweet that, but apparently not. He, he, he guesses just like the rest of us, I guess. Yeah. But like, if he didn't have a source for that, then he shouldn't have tweeted that. Um, because he's, he he's looked upon as a a source for information that's re- reputable especially no, going yeah, to bloomberg totally now so like us we're just bsing like right we're just two dudes in our, in our in our game rooms yeah yeah he <laughs> he basically was pulling a tweet out of his butt so yeah so yeah i don't i don't think we were we were in in errors too too much on that. Yeah, it was. I was more upset because it would have been great to ha- if like if that had broke Wednesday night. What actually happened? We could have, you know, done our podcast and been like the first video out there where we're like, "Hey, look, here's the truth. Here's what happened." But of course not. So, um, but all right. So that was technically not a story. That was just a follow up. So now we're gonna get into the stories, John. First, we're gonna talk about Doom Eternal, the soundtrack controversy, if you will, and then all we're right, gonna talk to Billy that Mitchell. Novel. Yeah, th- this is uh, uh, here. I'm gonna queue it up, and then uh, and then we're gonna go. So first up on the podcast today, we're gonna be talking about Doom Eternal's soundtrack, and this is a story we didn't talk about before, John. So 16 days ago, about two weeks ago, uh, 
I mean, it was a it was a decent enough size story, but we just had something else going on, so we didn't talk much about it. But people had started complaining about the official soundtrack for Doom Eternal, and they had been saying things like, uh, for instance, the um, they they had been saying things like, "Hey, we we broke down the tracks, we brought it into our." our audio software and we're noticing like these weird discrepancies like like there's some really weirdly compressed stuff mixed with non-compressed stuff and like what's going on it, it, it was it was strange um and the uh so the composer uh, on doom eternal is mick gordon which i'll be honest i wasn't super familiar with before this like i knew i I've, i know the name and I've, I've heard some of the tracks he does a lot of video game soundtracks and a lot for now <laughs> <laughs> with Bethesda um, maybe not so much anymore in the future but so yeah this was a couple weeks ago and what kind of sparked it was this uh, on, on Twitter this uh, at that ACDC guy it was a you know a Doom fan was kind of the one who who was digging a little deeper into the soundtracks and why they sounded off the the tracks on the soundtrack I should say um, and goes on to say in a tweet you know Mick Gordon is a far more talented audio engineer than me it's not even close and that's what makes it frustrating I expect much better from him the music itself is phenomenal, but this mix on the official soundtrack is frankly terrible. To which Mick Gordon actually replies to that tweet and says, I didn't mix those and I wouldn't have done that. You'll be able to spot the small handful of tracks I mixed, like Meat Hook, Command, and Control, etc. So you see that and you go, whoa, wait a minute. So what happened here? Why is the guy, why is the composer saying that those badly mixed tracks are not mine? And so for the last two weeks... Uh, it has been a free-for-all attack on Bethesda and id Software, saying things like whoever the composer at id was. I know his name. I I, for, I forget. I don't have it in front of me right now. Um, the uh, the audio the audio lead at id. It doesn't matter anyway. It does matter, and I'll get to it later. But the idea was that that person mixed it and they took this amazing artist mick gordon and they ruined it and they ruined the soundtrack and they ruined all of his tracks and so the story was what it was and i thought oh okay well that sucks i'm not really a doom guy and and i wasn't too concerned about it so i was like yeah whatever and then and and there was another instance where someone i guess reached out to him on instagram and said yo mick are you going to are you going to be there if id decides to work on another doom game to which he replies i doubt we'll work together again and so obviously, if you officially reply to someone like that, that person's going to share it on social media. It's going to go viral. And so the, these were like the two things that Mick Gordon had said. And so it gets everyone kind of fuming. And Id and Bethesda, they're, they're super quiet on it. Well, that all changed today. They're no longer quiet on it because on Reddit, the executive producer for Doom Eternal, Marty Stratton, released a novel. <laughs> So it was actually did this two days ago, um, but two so, days ago releases an open letter to the community. Before you get into it, the um, so what was messed up is the soundtrack, but not the game's music. Correct. So if you play Doom uh, Eternal, you're going to get the music as mick intended it to sound and it's going to sound great the complaint was that the collector's edition of the game came with a download of the soundtrack right and it was an expensive collector's edition so you know it's and that soundtrack's a big deal i I fully admit that yeah and i think there was like 50 some tracks on the soundtrack 
And Mick only did 12, I believe it was 12 of the songs, and the rest were mixed by a different person. But if you didn't care about the soundtrack, and you just wanted the music for the game to be good, it is. And it's 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 great. It's a great soundtrack. It's very heavy metal. Like uh, it is a great soundtrack. Guy, that's probably why the guy that's uh, that's picking it apart is named ACDC fan or something like that. Right. <laughs> um. So so yeah, it's they're they're really the gripe is about just the soundtrack. The, the mix of the, of the soundtrack. Game. Correct. That's actually yeah. a very good clarification. Thank you. Yeah, that's a hundred percent right. So this open letter. Here's how it begins, and I'm not going to read the entire thing because it would take me forever, but I'm going to read a few just to kind of get the gist, and then I'm going to go down to a few of these highlighted parts that that they felt were really important, that uh, Marty thought was really important, Marty Stratton. So here we go. This is how it starts off. An open letter to the incredible Doom community. Over the past couple of weeks, I've seen lots of discussions centered around the release of Doom Eternal of the Doom Eternal original game soundtrack. While many fans like the OST, there is speculation and criticism around the fact that the game's talented and popular composer, Mick Gordon, edited and mixed only 12 of the 59 tracks, the remainder being edited by our lead audio designer here at IT. Some have suggested that we've been careless with or disrespectful of our game music. Others have speculated that Mick wasn't given the time or creative freedom to deliver something different or better. The fact is, none of that is true. What has become unacceptable to me are the direct and personal attacks on our lead audio designer, particularly considering his outstanding contributions to the game, as well as the damage this mischaracterization is doing to the many talented people who have contributed to the game and continue to support it. I feel it is my responsibility to respond on their behalf. We've enjoyed an amazingly open and honest relationship with our fans, so given your passion on this topic and the depth of misunderstanding, I'm compelled to present the entire story. Now, before I go on, uh, it's never a good look when it takes you a couple of weeks to come out with something like this from when the original news started breaking and it started getting out. Like, why is this so why is the official soundtrack not what people were expecting? But I guarantee you it took this long to figure out how to word something like this and to make it like this had to go through legal for probably a very yeah. long time. There's a Definitely. reason there's a reason why game development is often shrouded in mystery and it's usually not for any nefarious reasons, it's typically for legal reasons. And so I'm sure that they they combed over the contract, they made sure they weren't breaching contract by talking about these things and they probably wanted to make sure that they weren't breaching contract which would allow uh Mick Gordon to say things maybe about things that he understands or knows about future projects or whatever. Right. So the, I like this takes time for a big company to come out and I'm so glad they came out and said something. I mean, he could have just come out and said, this isn't true. We love mixed music, but this isn't true. Like he breaks down the whole thing. I mean, this, this open letter is ridiculously long as you're about to find out. (laughs) It's, it's surprising that they talk about what they do as far as because it really talks about the the working relationship and like like Mick as an employee and where he failed but still does it in in a way that says he did great things and we want great things for him yeah. but this is where where things fell apart yeah yep exactly uh, so it, the article or the open letter goes on to say. When asked on social media about his future with Doom, Mick has replied, quote, doubt will work together again, end quote. This was surprising to see as we never discussed ending our collaboration with him until now. 
But his statement does highlight a complicated relationship. Our challenges have never been a matter of creative differences. Mick has had near limitless creative autonomy over music composition and mixing in our recent Doom games, and I think the results have been tremendous. His music is defining, and much like Bobby Prince's music was synonymous with the original Doom games from the 90s, Mick's unique style and sound have become synonymous with our latest projects. He deserves every award won, and I hope his incredible score for Doom Eternal is met with similar accolades. He will deserve them all. Talent aside, we have struggled to connect on some of the more production-related realities of development. While communication around these issues have eroded trust, for ID, or excuse me, for ID, this has created an unsustainable pattern of project uncertainty and risk. So before I go on, yes, and I, I've been, I was trying to figure out when in this like segment I wanted to talk about this, but I understand the quote-unquote passion of gamers and and how much we love the product but at the end of the day okay it is a business and and i i understand why people who are consumers they don't necessarily need to be they don't care why it's a bit like what the business needs right we're the consumer we're paying the money for the product so like we don't care about the excuses but when companies come up with things like this like when they talk about a challenging relationship they can't just give this guy 800 years to get this done they have a right. schedule they've been working on doom eternal for how long you know three years two or three years uh 2016 was the last doom yes so, so arguably four years. four years um if not longer if they were in pre-production as production was wrapping on doom 2016 so now yes quick question didn't did doom eternal get a delay yeah, it did, didn't it? I thought Doom Eternal was like did. the summer before and then it got pushed. To, yeah, because people were like really disappointed. It was like the fall of 2019 and it got moved to March, which to be fair, I don't think that was the soundtrack's fault. Although we don't know. You never know. But I, um, yeah, I, you never know. Based on some of the uh, stuff that you're going to get into, it sounds like it's a possibility that it might have been. Yeah. Um, so... Let's see. It goes on to say, at E3 last year, we announced that the official soundtrack would be included in the Doom Collector's Edition version of the game. At that point in time, we didn't have Mick under contract, and because of ongoing issues receiving the music we needed for the game, did not want to add the distraction at that time. Okay, so really quickly. So what they're saying is they wanted to, they, they were going to put the official soundtrack in. But because he was already struggling to get the game music done, they didn't want to bother him to do the official soundtrack as well. That, that, that's what they're saying here. Um, after discussions with Mick in January of this year, so a few months ago, we reached general agreement on the terms for Mick to deliver the OST by early March, in time to meet the consumer commitment of including the digital OST with the Doom Eternal CE at launch. The terms of the OST agreement with Mick were similar to the agreement of Doom 2016 in that it required him to deliver a minimum of 12 tracks, but added bonus payments for on-time delivery. The agreement also gives him complete control over what he delivers. So that's that's pretty good contract. I don't know. You, you get a bonus if you release it on time? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, what's going on in that world? How, how nice is that? Like, hey, you know what? You did your job. Here's a bonus. Like, isn't, his, <laughs> it's, isn't the paycheck the what he gets for doing his job? It's not like they gave him an early one. Like, hey, if you get this done a month early, we'll give you a, a bonus. But anyway, hey, that was the incentive. So they go on to say on February 24th, so a month, month and a half after they make this deal, Mick reached out to communicate that he and his team were fine with the terms of the agreement, 
but that there was a lot more work involved than anticipated, a lot of content to wade through, and while he was making progress, it was taking longer than expected. He apologized, that's important to me, he apologized and asked that, quote-unquote, ideally, he'd be given an additional four weeks to get everything together. He offered that the extra time would allow him to provide upwards of 30 tracks and a runtime of over two hours, including all music from the game, arranged in soundtrack format as he felt it would best represent the score in the best possible way. All good. So he's saying he apologized. I want to emphasize that. So Mick Gordon apologized for the delay, but then said if you give him four more weeks, he'll go from 12 tracks to 30 with two hours of runtime. Well, obviously id and bethesda gonna be like well yeah i mean <laughs> like yes we'll do that yes um well, i don't think they had a choice either though well exactly uh, what are you gonna do yeah because they either they either deliver that thing or they have to apologize to fans right and 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 then also for other reasons like the consumer protection stuff which we'll get into in a bit uh so it's it goes on to say mixed request was accommodated allowing for an even longer extension of almost six weeks so they gave him six weeks instead of four with a new final del- delivery date of mid-April. In that communication, we noted our understanding of him needing the extra time to ensure the OST meets his quality bar and even moved the bonus payment for on-time delivery to align with the new dates so he could still receive the full compensation intended, which he will. Which means that he did not deliver it on time, but they're still giving him the bonus. So not only did they push the thing that said, if you get it on time, we'll give you a bonus. They pushed that back the six weeks when he only asked for four. And then they said here, they're still giving it to him, even though arguably he didn't get it in time, as we'll go on to say. Uh, It's important to note at this point that not only were we disappointed to not deliver the OST with the launch of the collector's edition, we needed to be mindful of consumer protection laws in many countries that allow customers to demand a full refund for a product if a product is not delivered on or about its announced availability date. Even with that, the mid-April delivery would allow us to meet our commitments to customers while also allowing Mick the time he had ideally requested. So that must have been like the six weeks that they offered were like, okay, you said four. We can wait a total of six weeks and we can still get this thing out and be okay. Because there's probably like, what, a 30-day window from when a product comes out to deliver everything or something like that would be my idea how they're going to get around the consumer protection stuff. As we hit April, we grew increasingly concerned about Mick delivering the OST to us on time. And this is, remember, this is Marty. He goes, I personally asked our lead audio designer at id, Chad, to begin working on id versions of the tracks, a backup plan should Mick not be able to deliver on time. To complete this, Chad would need to take all of the music as Mick had delivered for the game, edit the pieces together into tracks, and arrange those tracks into a comprehensive OST. So that's how this works. So he had to take the music from the game. Because that's the idea, right? I don't think people realize that. So if you ever look at a video game soundtrack, look at a video game, right? A video game doesn't just play the official soundtrack in the background. It oftentimes has looping audio and it's it's cut differently so that it's got like a flow a lot of the music is meant to well one at certain points in the game it's going to ramp up doom especially did that i think if i remember correctly in doom 2016 like there were specific moments where the music would ramp up and and it's it's not mixed like you wouldn't just take that and then put it on a cd it's not how it works yeah it would sound funky so so they were he had to remix it a bit to make it actual tracks like hey you, you just took a song that you've made loopable for five hours and now you have to cut it down to a four minute track 
So what what are your highs and lows? Like there there's some effort there. It's not like you just go in there and chop it up and put it on a CD. I mean, not saying you couldn't do that, but that's not Mick Gordon style. So he wouldn't do that. Uh, so it goes on to say it is important to understand that there's a difference between music being mixed for inclusion in the game and music mixed for inclusion on the OST. Several people have noted this difference when looking at the waveforms that's in like audacity. They, they pulled it up but have misunderstood why there's a difference. When a track looks bricked or like a bar where the extreme highs and lows of the dynamic range are clipped, this is how we receive the music from Mick for inclusion in the game, in fragments pre-mixed and pre-compressed by him. Those music fragments he delivers then go into our audio system and are combined in real time as you play through the game. Alternatively, when mixing and mastering for an OST, Mick starts with his source material, which we don't typically have access to, and remixes for the OST to ensure the highs and lows are not clipped as seen in his 12 original tracks. This is all important to note because Chad only had these pre-mixed and pre-compressed game fragments from Mick to work with in editing the id versions of the tracks. He simply edited the same music you hear in-game to create a a comprehensive OST, though some of the edits did require slight volume adjustments to prevent further clipping. So that, that's kind of what I was mentioning there, but they're basically saying that they didn't have Mick's original recordings, so mix, mixed, <laughs> mix mixes are going to <laughs> have that dynamic range because he's working with the original files. What Chad at id was given were the compressed files that he had to somehow mix with mix originals <laughs> to make it work. This is getting very confusing, but stick with me here. If, uh, if Mick does not have a YouTube channel called Mix Mixes, Mix Mix. Uh, then he's failing at life. <laughs> uh, just for the right. uh, uh, in early April, I sent an email to Mick reiterating the importance of hitting his extended contractual due date outlined in detail the reasons we need to meet our commitments to our customers. I let him know that Chad had started to work on backup tracks, but reiterated that our expectation and preference was to release what he delivered. So he tells him, he's like, hey, my guy here is working on a backup plan, but we don't want to use that. We want you. Like, we, we paid for your name. You know, the customers think it's you. We want it to be you. So it's not like they're... I just... The reason I bring that up as important is it's not like id and Bethesda were trying to squeeze them out or something. You know? It's yeah. Like, they, they they wanted this. And when you listen to the tracks for that game, it is. It, it fits very well. And so, obviously, you want that in your game. And you know you don't want to disappoint all your customers, right? Um, yes, this is more interesting than I expected in that the initially, I just thought it was a story of, uh, cause I didn't read that gigantic, uh, the open letter. Yeah. The, (laughs) the war and peace of, of statements. Um, I, I read like a, a bit of it and it really just, to me, initially, it came down to like, okay, so he failed to meet his obligation time-wise, and so they had to fill it in. I didn't realize that they they had a ticking clock on them, and that they really needed to do something because they were worried about like repercussions uh, of the consumer protection laws. And so they really had to jump in and finish this because otherwise they were going to be breaking yeah. consumer protection laws it, in different countries. And that's essentially the business side of it that I was mentioning earlier. Like I understand the passion of wanting the product and we're the customers and we shouldn't have to worry about that. It's not our fault, 
But that's what you have to understand is that when something like this happens, because that was what was happening was it was getting a ton of flack for this. And the audio engineer in particular, people calling him lazy or, you know, oh, look yeah. at how crappy this is mixed. He's not a real. I mean, that's that's not true. You know, you do the best you can with what you've got. And I'll be honest, the the average person would not even notice the average no. person's never. I mean, and there are going to be people who are big audio files. They're going to say I, something's, something's off on this and they'll dig into it and they'll say, oh, see, I knew something was off. The average person never would have a clue. Never would have a clue. Uh, so let's see. On the day the music was due from Mick, I asked what we could expect from him. Mick indicated that he was still finishing a number of things, but that it would be no less than twelve tracks and about sixty minutes of music, and that it would be and then it would come in the late evening. Okay, so this is the this is the day it's due, and he goes, "Hey, I'll have it tonight, late tonight, but I'll get it done. I'll get it done today, right? Crunch mode, right?" And uh, the next morning, Mick informed us that he'd run into some issues with several tracks and that it would take additional time to finish, indicating he understood we were in a tight position for launching and asked how we'd like to proceed. We asked him to deliver the tracks he'd completed and then follow up with the remaining tracks as soon as possible. After listening to the nine tracks he delivered, not the 12, the nine he delivered, I wrote him that I didn't think those tracks would meet the expectations of Doom or Mick fans, there was only one track with the type of heavy combat music that people would expect, and most of the others were ambient in nature. I asked for a call to discuss. Instead, he replied that the additional tracks he was trying to deliver were in fact the combat tracks and that they were the most difficult to get right. He again suggested that if more heavy tracks are needed, Chad's tracks could be used to flesh it out further. So this is important because he's saying, look, if, if you want more heavy stuff, just use the stuff that your audio engineer is doing and just put them in there like make the chad mix and make it all good so i'm going to skip a few paragraphs here uh because so he delivered one song well one song of what <laughs> they were expecting yeah eight, eight songs of like the background kenny g. ambient stuff <laughs> yeah the, the kenny g <laughs> stuff yeah um some soft jazz so the dude the Doot Warrior trap yeah. <laughs> So then this is where it gets into the replies to the comments that Mick made. So in reply to one fan, Mick said he, quote, didn't mix those and wouldn't have done that, end quote. And a couple of other simple messages distancing from the realities and truths I've just outlined has generated unnecessary speculation and judgment and led some to vilify an attack and id software employee who had simply stepped up to the request of delivering a more comprehensive OST. And you know what? They could have released the the nine tracks, right? The nine mic tracks with one heavy metal and a bunch of bunch of ambient noise in the background. They could have done that. But that wasn't good enough for them and they said that wasn't good enough for the the product that people paid for. So Mick had shared with me that the attacks on Chad are distressing, but he's done nothing to change the conversation. After reaching out to Mick several times via email to understand what prompted his online posts, we were able to talk, and he shared several issues that he that I'd like to also address. Again, not me. This is the open letter from Marty. And he goes, first, Mick said that he was surprised by the scope of what was released, the 59 tracks. Chad had sent Mick everything more than a week before the final deadline, and I described to him our plan to combine the id-edited tracks 
with his own tracks as he'd suggested doing. The tracks Mick delivered covered only a portion of the music in the game, so the only way to deliver a comprehensive OST was to combine the tracks Mick delivered with the tracks id had edited from the game music. So basically what they're saying is, if they hadn't done this, there would have been half the game music wouldn't have been in there. Well, probably more than that, like 75% of the game music wouldn't have been on the OST. Like, how crappy of an OST would that be? You know, like, that's that's terrible. Um, if Mick is dis- uh, dissatisfied with the content of his delivery, he would certainly entertain distributing additional tracks. I also know that Mick feels that some of the work included in the id-edited tracks was originally intended more as demos or mock-ups when originally sent. However, Chad only used music that was in-game or part of a cinematic music construction kit. So Mick was complaining that they were using like his demos and kind of throwaway stuff, but they're straight up saying only music that was in the game is what they mixed and turned into something for the OST. So I, it's like so it's almost like they both have, you know, different like understandings of the facts of what actually happened. Um, Mick goes on. Uh, Mick also communicated that he wasn't particularly happy with some of the edits in the id tracks. And I understand this from an artist's perspective and realize this opinion is what prompted him to distance from the work in the first place. That said, from our perspective, we didn't want to be involved in the content of the OST and did absolutely nothing to prevent him from delivering on his commitments within the time frame he asked for, and we extended multiple times. So they're saying we didn't even want to do the OST, that's why we paid him to do it, and he couldn't deliver it, so we had to give our fans something. And finally, Mick was concerned that we'd given Chad co-composer credit, which we did not do and would never have done. In the metadata, Mick is listed as the sole composer and sole album artist. On tracks edited by id, Chad is listed as a contributing artist. That was the best option to clearly uh, delineate for fans which tracks Mick delivered and which tracks id's lead audio designer had edited. It would have been misleading for us to attribute tracks solely to Mick that someone else had edited. So, like, yes, and I mean... they they were honest about it. Like when I read this, I, and again, this is their perspective to make themselves look good, but they're saying right here that Mick was upset that the other guy got co-composer credit, which he didn't get. <laughs> and so he's mad about something that's not true. And then the only thing they did was they gave him contributing artists because he, he did the edit. Like they had to give him credit on it, you know, cause obviously then that's their audio design did, did that work. Yeah. So, uh, so it just goes on to say, if you've read all this, thank you for your time and attention. As for the immediate future, we are at the point of moving on and won't be working with Mick on the DLC we currently have in production. As I've mentioned, his music is incredible. He is a rare talent, and I hope he wins many awards for his contribution to Doom Eternal at the end of the year. I'm as disappointed as anyone that we're at this point. But as we have many times before, we will adapt to changing circumstances and pursue the most unique and talented artists in the industry's with whom to collaborate. Our team has enjoyed this creative calibration a great deal, and we know Mick will continue to delight fans for many years ahead. With respect and appreciation, Marty Stratton, executive producer of Doom Eternal. Like, whew. and that's not even all of it. Like, I didn't even I skipped like four <laughs> paragraphs. Um, I I gotta tell you that Mick Gordon. I mean, I'm sorry. It, he seems like an unprofessional artist who could not. And, and again, you know, he might have been stressed because it wasn't good enough and he's a perfectionist. If you're under contract, it's a business. I'm sorry. And you have to separate that. Like, I understand a lot of artists need managers and need people for stuff like this. But if you're an artist 
and you're going to take pay from somebody and they have a deadline, you have to meet that deadline. And then when yeah. you get things like when they extend it and they extend your bonus for hitting the on-time date, even though you're not going to hit the on-time date, and then they extend it and they still offer it to you and you still don't make it, I don't get that. And, and again, maybe he ran into like maybe something came up. Maybe maybe like he just hit like a, a wall for creativity or maybe he has people helping him and maybe one of them got sick with COVID. You don't know. Like maybe something happened. But that's not the sort of stuff like he's not coming out and saying that he's not saying, Hey, it is my fault. I didn't make it, but here's what happened. It's just, he's distancing himself from the music. And like, I, I don't know. It just, the whole thing is just like, I, I can't put any blame on it for this. Like at, no. hardly at all. Now I'm going to totally speculate, but to me, this sounds like he procrastinated. And possible because, I, I think that it should have done some sort of milestone uh, clause in the contract to be like, all right, we expect you to deliver a song every like every once a few week. days. Yeah, yeah, something yeah. like that. Yeah, and because because without it, they they're literally waiting for him to give them everything. So at least if they would have said like, hey, every three days we expect a track out of you, that could have at least shown them like, all right, he's on, he's doing his work. Because if they would have done that, they would have at least gotten the 12 tracks out of them that they wanted. But they didn't. And it t- the reason I think it seems like procrastination is, like, he said he was going to be done by, like, the deadline day at night. And then he couldn't even do that. And then once he did deliver, he threw together one decent song and a bunch of ambient background music. So like, what's, yeah, what's funny? That, yeah. What's funny about that too is that he had issues with several tracks. So you're telling me he call, he talked to him the day of and said, "I'll have it done tonight." And he was and he still wasn't done with like he wasn't even on like the final minute of the final track. He's got multiple right. tracks that he's not done yet. Like he knew he wasn't getting that in that night. He knew that. Right. You know, he was just buying himself some time. Well, and and he could have helped out the audio engineer Chad by giving him the raw files to work with, and the, it doesn't sound like he did that either. So they had to yeah. pull the the game audio or the the tracks out of the game itself and edit them, which is why it doesn't sound as good as it could. That Chad guy might be a great audio engineer that just didn't get the tools from from Mick that he needed to make it sound decent. Yeah, I, uh, I'll, I'll say right now he's an amazing audio engineer because he took someone's compressed stuff and then the original game music and somehow was able to turn that into an OST. Like, I understand it's it's not yeah. hitting people's expectations, but that is a chore. I mean, that's that's like I couldn't even imagine trying to pick up someone else's work in a different format and make it mesh with something else. Man, that sounds awful. Now, what I do think that they should do to move on from this very sour and crappy story is I think they should make a big announcement of like, Hey, for the soundtrack for our expansion or for the soundtrack for our next game, we're going to work with somebody else, like somebody big name, like Andrew WK. They have a, uh, a, um, a working relationship with from rage or like, uh, Trent Reznor. Trent Reznor. From I, was ju- I was just going to say that. Did yeah. the Quake soundtrack. Yeah. Like, get one of those guys back. Hell, the the guy that did the original Doom soundtrack. Yeah. Like, bring him back. Like, have him collaborate with a like somebody like Trent Reznor and Joe WK. Like, 
bring bring some of that classic id stuff back sure in a great way to walk away from this negative story because i don't think it from what that that letter to the fans tells me it does not sound like id deserves any of the the sour grapes that they're getting and it then that chad uh that did the audio engineering it doesn't sound like he deserves it either he he busted his butt to get some to put yeah. something together. Can you believe that too? Like he he was the told the product. Yeah, he was told to do that, right? So his boss comes in and says, "Hey, man, I need you to save this just in case. You're our backup plan." He does it, and he gets dumped on. Just like he just gets yeah. like I don't think people realize that they wouldn't have had anything if he hadn't done that. Like and then they'd be bitching that you know that the official soundtrack didn't come out at all. You know, and and so I totally agree with you. Uh, I want to what I want to say is at first I was reading this and I thought, you know, they could have started doing the OST before January. That's probably Bethesda's fault. Right. And then when you read it closer, though, and you find out that Mick was already struggling with deadlines for the actual game music. And then that's why they didn't want to bother him with the OST. So it's not that they waited too long. They were like. Jesus, this guy's not even giving us the music. And that might be why the delay happened. Not the OST, but the actual game music that he was working on. If that wasn't done, they probably had to push the game. And and who knows? You know, a lot of times it's never one reason. It could have been, hey, we don't want to delay, but we don't have the music yet. And we could use another four months of polish, five months of polish. People are like, "Eh, okay, well, if if you give us another five months to work on a game, they're going to do it. And that's just, and that's, believe me, the workers want that. They want more time to polish and finalized stuff you know yeah but the the soundtrack definitely could affect the and delay the game because imagine if they released the game and there was just no soundtrack yeah it'd be like, like slave zero like on the gunshot cast. noises <laughs> gunshot noises <laughs> the, and and monster screams yeah the, like it'd be very bizarre the music is very iconic for that and yeah and so i i i, I cannot put any blame on it at all and here's what i'm going to say about this letter too at a company the size of this, that's been around this long, okay, th- this letter is not full of mistruths, okay? You do not work at a company this big, owned by a company that's even bigger, get into a public beef with uh, a contractor for your product, and then release a 10 to 20 paragraph open letter to fans and lie in it. You don't do it. No. If if these were lies, they would not have released this. And I'm not saying there might that this isn't written in a positive way to like make Bethesda and Id look good. Like it is. It's from their point of view. Of course it's going to be like that. But they're not they're not lying when they say these things. I guarantee every one of these things they have ways to back up all of this. They have the emails, they have everything. And that's why I don't think you'll see Mick Gordon even respond to this. You know, I think he was happy just trying to, like, not take blame for the crappiness of it initially, and he never expected it to, like, a lot of people not in the game industry don't understand, unfortunately, like, how mental some video game fans are, you know, and, and, like, how nuts they go over something like this, you know, and so... I'm sure he was just like, oh, I'm going to distance myself from it and put the blame on Bethesda, and he probably thought it'd be over. He didn't expect I'm those sh- two things to go viral, and then all of a sudden the whole internet hates the company he just made a soundtrack for. That's And who knows, maybe that's why he replied that one way and said that I doubt we'll work together again, because maybe he saw like the, the, the snowball rolling downhill and was like, oh, they'll never hire me again. <laughs> you know, like he saw the writing on the wall. <laughs> I'm sure some idiot video game fans probably threw out some death threats. Oh, I'm sure. Because... Yep. 
Uh, I'd like to say, can we cut Bethesda some slack for a while? (laughs) Well, that's actually a good point you bring that up because it, it does show a little bit on where Bethesda's standing is right now. I think that's fair. I think it's fair to say Bethesda has dug a grave and, you know, has dug a hole and, and that people are going to assume that when something goes south, it's their fault. Now, is it all the time? No, but that's a reputation they've been earning rightfully in the past in certain situations, but that doesn't, you know, that should never always be your assumption. You should always wait for the facts and then make an educated decision about how you feel about something. But yeah, yeah, I'm with, I mean, I'm, I'm with you a little bit, but, and myself, I've done like at least four negative Bethesda stories over the last year. Cause it's like, Oh, we have moldy fallout helmets. Oh, you know, this, this fallout 76 issue, this sucks. That sucks. I mean, like they, they've earned some issue, but you're right. They don't get the positive clout for some of the good things they've done either. And some of the bangers they've had come out with Wolfenstein too. And you know, like Wolfenstein's been killing it. Um, obviously doom huge. So, you know, I, I believe they, they donated a million dollars to charity like a week ago. Uh, <laughs> no, that's, yeah, that's good. And you know, and, and, uh, and we didn't report on that. So we're part of the problem too. Cause right. We're just, we're always sticking with the negative, but you're right. You're right. And, and it's, it's not really fair to just assume that they're the worst <laughs> and that everything's their fault. Yeah. And, and I, I, I don't know also how many people, and I don't know like a ton of famous people or anything, but I know some artists and even artists, any artist that does it for a living, and I know a few, like they're very difficult to rely on, you know, like as far as schedules go, like they're amazing talents. Amazing. Are they ever on time? <laughs> it's not, not a lot of the times in the experiences I've had, you know, um, but that doesn't mean they're not incredibly talented, you know? And so it's, that's the risk, right? Is talented people are often not as organized as organized people <laughs> i guess to say it that way but uh so we'll have to see where this goes uh, i'd love it if, if i mean it'd be awesome if mick came back with something else and said nope this is all fake and here's the truth i'd be like okay because then we're duking it out in court <laughs> after that and then it starts to get real good but you know what and then you and then we can make another video we can make another video and then we make another <laughs> 35 45 cents for the yeah. youtube channel <laughs> yeah, but uh, we'll, we'll see. You know, hopefully we'll have a follow up. Uh, I'm very curious because I looked at Mick Gordon's Twitter and he tweets like once a month. And I think the last thing he tweeted out was like a behind the scenes look at how he made the Doom soundtrack. So it's not there, <laughs> there's he's not a lot whole going not a whole lot going on there. And then his YouTube channel, I don't think he runs that. I think he just has some company do it because it's got like three playlists and it's like this playlist is the Doom soundtrack. This playlist is Wolfenstein soundtrack. This playlist is Killer Instinct soundtrack. And and I'll tell you, I looked at his portfolio. Like the last six games he worked on were all Bethesda games. Hmm. Like he did uh he did Prey, Wolfenstein, Doom, Doom Eternal. Like it's a lot of good and and, and then he did uh, obviously not for Bethesda, but he did Killer Instinct season 1 and season 2. Like he does good video game music that that's awesome. And unfortunately he may have just burned a bridge that he may not realize like how big of a bridge it was because that was the majority of the games he was working on were Bethesda titles. So, you know, I don't know. It doesn't seem like the best, uh, the best, uh, you know, uh, 
job opportunity <laughs> sort of risk taking to be a part of but hey he did it so uh so we'll see we'll see if uh we'll see if if Mick Gordon uh, and Bethesda can work together again so next up on the podcast today well see you know what I've been doing lately I do that a lot I say so next up on the podcast but I haven't shut the old window Okay. So I go, I go, and I have to click on the thing, but I'm already saying it, and it's the video's already borked, the intro's already borked, and so I got to go back. Uh, so now <laughs> I got to roll it back a few seconds, because you know I refuse to edit. I refuse to edit this podcast. I also have to make eyebrows at you again on the video. Yes. So I like to do that when <laughs> when there's a lull. <laughs> just kind of like when like, I know we're done <laughs> talking, I just look at you real stupid. Nice. <laughs> All right. So I'm gonna roll it back a little bit, and then we're gonna talk about. My best boy, Billy Mitchell. All right, here we go. So next up on the podcast today, everybody, we're going to be talking about, once again, the man, the myth, the legend, Billy Mitchell of Donkey Kong fame or infamy, I guess. So uh, up on the video right now, John, I have my YouTube channel. And as I mentioned earlier in the podcast, I've done a few Billy Mitchell videos, <laughs> as you can see okay. as I scroll through here. Now, most of these came in two years ago when Billy was the new hotness, right? And uh, as recently, I haven't done a video on Billy in since September. And that was because there were rumors that he was going to sue Twin Galaxies and he was going to sue Guinness, as in Guinness World Records. Uh, now, the reason I bring that up is because... It's official. Billy Yay. Mitchell, <laughs> Billy Mitchell, is suing Twin Galaxies, not suing Guinness, as far as I could tell, but is also there are. It's it's hard to break this down, but let me let me do this first. So he's suing Twin Galaxies for sure. That's been delivered. That lawsuit. Okay. He has two other pending lawsuits that they've not filed. Like they've. I think he had to register them or make the complaint before the statute of limitations ran out. Is that what this? No, that's the actual complaint. And so he had to do that, uh, but hasn't actually like sent them or delivered or whatever the terminology is. I apologize. I'm not a lawyer. So Twin Galaxies, uh, if you don't know, and and if, if you've been following my channel for a long time, I've talked about this ad nauseum. But I want to go over it one more time. And I think this is a pretty big deal because this has kind of long-reaching ramifications. And so Twin Galaxies uh, was a website that... Well, it wasn't a website back then, but it was a it was a place for video game high scores, arcade high scores. So for a very long time, it was... Uh, Walter Day, the original founder, would go around to like arcades and record people's scores and had a database, essentially, of of who had the top score and high record, uh, high scores, top records in these different games. Billy Mitchell knew him for a long time. Billy Mitchell's big time game player in the eighties. So, uh, in, in like 2014, I think it was, uh, Jace Hall bought twin galaxies and, you know, obviously they've, they've grown it into a website. They have official forums now and they still have all these old records. And before I did the Billy Mitchell video, I had done a video. And again, these were videos at the time. I just thought it was an interesting story. I had no idea like the subculture I was diving into. And I first did a video on Todd Rogers and him being caught cheating at Dragster and being removed from the Twin Galaxies scoreboard and being banned from competitive play. 
Well, then it was like a month or two later when the Billy Mitchell stuff started coming out. And it was like, holy crap, this guy is like, this is the like the number one name in our in old arcade stuff. And and, and his scores were like, you know, legend. And and he's not even the top score. Um, more so importantly, he was the star of the King of Kong, right? Which is was very mainstream for him. I mean, uh, ultimately, it's a documentary full of some wild inaccuracies, <laughs> but uh, but it's still very entertaining. Still very entertaining. And, you know, so that was where he was very notoriously known. And then, of course, uh, what started on a Donkey Kong forum was an official complaint about his scores. A bunch of evidence was produced, ultimately leading to his scores being removed. And then Twin Galaxies did their own internal investigation of footage and things that they had. And they decided that also based on their information that the scores that he achieved were not played on official hardware that would make him ineligible for records. And they banned him from future competition. So that's like the whole story that that was two years ago. Well, now he's officially suing twin galaxies for defamation. And there's two other lawsuits kind of out there that haven't been officially filed. This is where I was going with all that. One of them is to the donkey Kong forums where the original case was brought up that he was a cheater. And now they don't say he's a cheater. Uh, well, that that forum post might. Twin Galaxies never said he was a cheater. They were very specific to be like, no, he's not a cheater. He just didn't play within our rules of what we envision a record. Like it was very, you know, it was actually quite well crafted statement. But the more interesting one, and I did a video about this a couple years ago for another reason. But there's a YouTuber named Apollo Legend, and he is also being sued by Billy Mitchell for defamation. Now. He did okay. he did an incredible breakdown video of what's actually going on. Like he he did all these facts. Like he he broke it all down. However, what he also did and this is why he was originally rumored to be being sued by Billy, he went to like an event in Florida, dressed up as Billy Mitchell, got pictures taken with Billy and was trying to interview him and like ask him questions. Okay. <laughs> it was really funny. Um but they were at that point, they were trying to sue him for like filming people without their permission and all this other stuff. Well, that ended up not being true. That ended up not being a thing. But in this lawsuit, for whatever reason, Billy's got two on deck for the forum and for a YouTuber named Apollo Legend. And then the official one, which is in it, it is an officially filed lawsuit against Twin Galaxies. So I know that was a long intro, but there's a lot of layers to this, a lot of stuff going on. Can I? Can I call him a douche without being sued? Is that libel? That's not defamation or libel, is it? Well, just the, my opinion. Uh, that's a great <laughs> question. Uh, I'm not going to answer it. And uh, since you didn't say it, you just asked a hypothetical question. I think we'll be okay. Okay. Um, but I, I said that jokingly before. I'm, I'm surprised I didn't get like a, a cease and desist or something or, or like a video strike or something like that just because, you know. And, and I'm really bummed out, too, because if you look at, like, my my YouTube channel, there was this one where he actually made a comment about, like, he talked about the allegations. And he was at Midwest Gaming Classic is where he did it. I was supposed to be there. But the I weather, was that was the really crappy weather one that you were there for yep. that one. See, I, I was supposed to go, but the weather was so bad, they shut the highways down and I couldn't go. So I not only did I miss out. But I missed out on my opportunity to like 
see Billy. And and I, I, I'm curious. I'm sure he doesn't know who I am. But it'd be really neat if I walked up. I was like, hey, I'm from the drop rate. I did some views on you. Would would you like to sit down and ask some questions? And I guarantee I would. it'd be really funny to me if he was like, oh, oh it's you. you know, probably not. I don't think it's like that. But probably anyway. Not. And it's fine. And that's fine. It's not about that for me, honestly. Like I, And I would ask some, I think, really fair questions personally. But uh, anyway, the, the reason, the story we're talking about today, the lawsuit, right? Let's get to it. In, and now this is funny. So in April of 2018, uh, the Twin Galaxies video game scoreboard announced its finding that well-known classic game score chaser Billy Mitchell did not achieve his Donkey Kong high scores on unmodified arcade hardware, stripping him of all his accumulated records in the process. Since then, Mitchell has oft claimed that he would fight the decision every way he could. And in September of 2019, Billy Mitchell and his lawyers said in a statement they would be forced to resort to legal recourse if Twin Galaxies didn't rescind its decision and reinstate Billy Mitchell's scores. Uh, however, court filings obtained by Ars Technica show that Mitchell had already filed suit against Twin Galaxies in a Los Angeles County court as early as April 2019. So I don't know if he filed it and then was hoping that the threat would be enough to kind of, you know, get them to reinstate him. Obviously didn't work. And then the lawsuit went through Mitchell's defamation lawsuit mis misfiled as William James Mitchell versus twin galaxies, G A L E X I E S instead of G A L A X I E S. So it's not usually a good sign when your lawyer can't get the right name of the company to sue <laughs> for defamation. I, I probably would have spelled that wrong too. Well, you're not a lawyer, so I'll uh, forgive you this time. And, and I would have used spell check. <laughs> yeah, it's like <laughs> when the little red line shows up, I probably would have been like, eh, maybe it's wrong. Yes, it you just right click it, see what it says. Right click the red yeah. squiggly line, see what it tells you. Go go with what you know. Um, so misfiled as William James Mitchell versus Twin Galaxies and not reported in previous press accounts has been slowly building to a planned July anti-slap hearing where Twin Galaxies will make use of a statute that lets defendants quickly strike down lawsuits that threaten quote-unquote public participation. Twin Galaxies says in court filings that its statements regarding Mitchell's scores were not defamatory and that finding in Mitchell's favor would have chilling effects on the freedom of speech. <laughs> so, you know, so that's that's what Twin Galaxies' defense is, is that, well, we could say whatever we want and that, uh, you know, it was not defamatory at all. Going on, uh, and speaking to Ars Technica, Billy Mitchell said his lawsuit was officially filed last April to fit inside California's statute of limitations for defamation cases, which ran out a year after Twin Galaxies' April 2018 decision to strip Mitchell of his records. That case was then officially served to Twin Galaxies in February of this year and updated with a more detailed complaint in March, according to court records. Quote, my law firm and I are fully confident that we will establish a prima facie... <laughs> also misspelled case for all parts of the lawsuit. Mitchell told Ars Technica in a Twitter direct message in his amended legal complaint. Mitchell argues that twin galaxies published statement regarding his scores were libelous on its face because of the implication that Mitchell did not achieve his record score legitimately by accusing Mitchell of impermissibly and secretly shortcutting the site's rules. Mitchell argues that twin galaxies at least implied that he was a cheater so that any reasonable reader would understand Twin Galaxies has called Mitchell a cheater who deserved punishment by stripping him of all of his Twin Galaxies records and banning him for life from submitting future records. <sighs> okay, so he's arguing that while they didn't call him a cheater, 
that it's implied that since they stripped him of his records and banned him from future play, that he is a cheater. Uh, I don't know where I'm going to like fit this in for you to like say anything. So just jump in when you want. But this, this, I don't think this is going to go anywhere. I think as a defamation lawsuit, it's very difficult to prove actual loss of revenue from this happening. So, like, how is Billy going to prove money? Like... <laughs> what money is he making from this? Well, that's what's funny. Like, he's got his hot sauce business. He sells his own hot sauces, John. If you didn't know, honestly, yeah, I did know about his hot sauce. Um, and I actually, I tried to buy some of his hot sauce last year at Midwest, but I don't know if he brought any. Um, which, if he didn't bring any, well, he wasn't why the there hell last do you year. not bring your, uh, well, the, the year he was yeah, there. Yeah, Why is he not bringing his sauce places? Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but this is how I think Billy makes money on this. He's a villain. Like, he... Thank you. Preach it, bro. Preach it. Y- yeah. Like, he was a villain in the movie. And I think he enjoys the press that he gets from being the character that he is. The shtick, if you will. Yeah. Yeah, I think he's just way, way, way too too into the shtick. He's like Dr. Disrespect, uh, which I cannot stand. Um, I also (laughs) can't stand Billy Mitchell. I, I, I think he's probably a cheater. I do. This is my own opinion. It is not Craig's opinion. I am saying it of my own free will. Um, sue, sue that guy. Yeah. If you do, I have no money. Enjoy. Um, but I, there was, there's too many inconsistencies with his stories from his high scores. Steve Wiebe, when he did, got his high score, it was on a fish, an official machine. There were witnesses. They looked at the machine and Billy Mitchell submitted a videotape, which is suspect. And there were things that were suspect in that movie. Now, he said he can replicate the score, but hasn't. Like, Correct. He has like, He has since broken a million. Like, he's been streaming okay. on Twitch. You know, so he's broken a million, but he hasn't achieved, I don't even think, his highest scores in the past, of, of the past. Well... And it, when he's streaming on Twitch, is he streaming on an official machine, or like a real arcade machine? Does he show the internals of the machine? Because he usually he streams from streaming. an arcade. Yeah, like like I will say, like there is a sense of legitimacy there because he is okay. he is going through the motions now. Yeah, but like my eyes. I, I probably rolled my eyes like 10 times while you were reading that. I, I As uh, I was reading it, I actually peeked over and I saw your head in your hands. So I am watching. I can read and watch you at the same time. But I understand that sometimes um, this stuff is just like, like it's draining to talk about. All right. So I love video games. Who cares about your damn high score? Yeah, well, and and, and, and so, Lord. like, it reminds me of, okay, I, I, this is a really obscure reference. Probably most people who would watch video game content aren't going to get this. So there's a movie out there called Mr. 3000. Have you ever heard of it? Uh, I, f- I forget the name of the actor. He was, he's a comedian. Bernie Mac okay. is Bernie Mac. So, so okay, Bernie, yeah, Bernie yeah, Mac yeah. was like a baseball star who had 3000 hits. 
And he goes on to be super popular. And like, uh, after he's done playing baseball, he retires and he has like, I'm Mr. 3000 and all this stuff. It's a big marketing thing. Well, then it finds out some record was flubbed and he only had like 2,990 hits. And so he wasn't Mr. 3000 anymore. So he had, he basically goes back to play baseball again to try to get his like 3000th hit so he can be Mr. 3000 again. Okay. Um, and it's, it's a stupid premise. Now, if, if, if Billy were like that, right? Like if he made his whole life off of the fact that he was the top of twin, Ga- like, and, and this is the thing is he's not even the top. He like, his scores got destroyed by people years ago. So it's not even like he was the number one player. And, and I think he puts a little too much stock into twin galaxies and like the, the respect of that website and, and that track, right. like with, with now everyone just uses Twitch and like, there's so many other ways to track lives, you know, high scores and live, live gameplay and stuff. But you know, if his whole reputation staked on him, like if he was Twin Galaxies number one gamer, Billy Mitchell, and then Twin Galaxies bans him, like I could see him maybe having an argument, like they're taking away his livelihood. But he, it's it is like he's gonna he can do anything he wants. In fact, he's proven it. He's he's gotten bigger on Twitch. He's got a a crazy following that believes he's just man, just you know the man himself. As I know, I've been attacked by many. Yes, <laughs> I do these I videos. Can't believe- I can't believe you didn't start the intro to this video with the man, the myth, the mullet, by the way. Well, that's a missed opportunity. You know, that's why I've got you here. Now I'll know for next time when I have when to eventually do another one of these stupid videos on him. You were talking about the questions you ask, You would ask him if you got a chance at Midwest Gaming Classic back in a couple of years ago. I would hope that 90% of them were about hair care products. Well, as you can see, I have very flowing locks of my own, so I need to know. Uh, no, I would actually ask him stuff like, you know, I would ask him questions like, you get people saying these things like, what What do you say to the people that say you're a cheater? Like, what do you say to that? Because you want, I'd like to get what he's feeling. However, the problem with him is he does not do interviews where he doesn't know the questions in advance, and it's not like a very predetermined, okay. like, set thing. Like, he's he he knows, like, once he gets off topic that's when things start to like unravel for him. Like he has to have everything set very much in stone. And, and there was some, some stuff we don't know if it's necessarily true. I mean, I, I would, I always assume something like this is true until given reason not to, but like his, his family was being like, like given, you know, negative comments, people were being really nasty to them. And there was like, I think, I think they had to like call the FBI or something. So it was like a death threat against one of his, like that stuff's never acceptable. Okay. I don't care. No, who, I don't care. You know how much you dislike him or his shoddy. I just don't like that. I think it's just not the way to do things. But, you know, like you said, I, I, agree, I agree with that quite a bit. He likes playing the villain. And and I've had some interesting conversations with people that know him. And there's a couple things. One, a lot of people in his inner circle really like him. Now, it, it, it really says something about somebody who has a lot of people that are willing to, like, fall on a sword for you. I, I, I do believe that. I mean, I've, I feel like unless and it can be because you're very manipulative. Don't get me wrong. But it says a lot if you have a lot of friends that are willing to lay down and like help you out, that usually means that you've bought their loyalty somehow. You know what I mean? Like through helping them or through being a good person, who knows? But we may never see that public facing because like you said, he loves the he loves the villain role. He absolutely loves it. Yeah. Uh and and so and, and I, I have a friend who who like knows them and he, and when all this stuff was happening originally he was hinting in things he would say to me about how none of this stuff was even real. Like how him getting banned from twin galaxies was his way of like relaunching himself. It got his name back in the news and stuff like that. Now 
obviously these are real lawsuits. You don't fake stuff like this, you know, to, so obviously that ended up not panning out, but the idea that he, he wants people to hate him again. And, and how does it, I mean, if you sue a YouTuber, that's got a million views video, that's going to make people hate you because if people are hating you, they're still talking about you. And, and I think that's what he wants more than anything is people just to talk about him. I don't, I think he wants to be relevant. And, uh, and as I say that, I realize that I am part of the problem. <laughs> I, I am feeding into this. Uh, it is a symbiotic relationship. I'm feeding off of him and he's feeding off of me. Um, <laughs> but it, it's, it's such a, like, I, I don't know. I don't know how he like, I don't know what law firm takes us on because I want to read a little bit more of the story. Um, it goes on to say that, uh, let's see here uh, as a well-recognized public figure, Mitchell would have to also prove quote unquote, actual malice on twin galaxies part to sustain a defamation claim. Twin galaxies owner Jace, actually they call him Jason hall. I don't know if that's like, he's Jace J A C E. So I don't know if Jason, that was just a misprint yeah. or if that's actually his full name. And then he goes Jace for short with a C. I don't know. Um, he who headed the investigation for twin galaxies declares in connection with this motion that he had no doubts about the fact that the score performance at issue were not from an original donkey Kong arcade machine quote. I personally harbor no animosity or ill will towards Billy Mitchell hall writes in a public declaration filed with the court. I am indifferent one way or another, whether his donkey Kong or other scores appear on twin galaxies website leaderboards. My only concern is to maintain the integrity of the leaderboards. So it's going to be an interesting case. I think that might come down to who has the better lawyers and can argue a better case. But I don't think Billy Mitchell's going to win this one. I, I I can't see it. I can't see how he how he proves any sort of loss in any if if anything, he's had a resurgence in popularity since all these stories were coming out and all these low rent YouTubers like myself are doing videos about it. You know, I I hope that they get into the court uh, courtroom and they start to present their very technical stupid argument and the judge just goes get the hell out of here <laughs> <laughs> so it's funny you said that too because i brought up the uh i brought up the actual court filing here and what i like is there's a section that says general allegations okay and I, this just made me laugh i'm not going to go through them all but there are uh 18 wait no is that uh, i think there's 18 of them but the first one is william billy mitchell is an individual residing in florida recognized worldwide for his records in a number of video games, including Donkey Kong, Pac-Man, and others. Mitchell rose to national prominence in the 1980s when Life Magazine included him in a photo spread of game champions. During the quote-unquote golden age of arcade video gaming in the 80s, Mitchell became the Nessun Sports' most recognizable figure. Okay, so that's that's a gen, that's in the general alle, uh, allegations tab. That's number one, is him talking about being a video gamer of high caliber in the 80s. I would like to say that I rose to fame in 1990 when I went to the Expo Center with my dad and the Press Gazette took a photo of my dad holding me up looking at the uh, <laughs> 1960s Batmobile. That's when I rose to fame. <laughs> that was your rise to fame. Oh, very nice. Yes. Uh, yes. Now... And it's, it's just been stratospheric <laughs> since then. <laughs> now, the, the second allegation, after a hiatus, Mitchell returned to gaming in the late 90s. He achieved the first perfect score in the original Pac-Man, and as a result, Pac-Man's manufacturer, Namco, brought Mitchell to Japan for the Tokyo Game Show and named him Video Game Player of the Century. 
That's number two of the general allegation. So basically the first like 10 of these are him just bragging about things that like, I don't know. It's just, it just seemed weird to me. I don't know. Like, like he's Namco have waited for the century to be over before declaring him the number one. Yeah. Maybe they were talking. I mean, come on. It, 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 it's such a weird thing. And look, that's all marketing <laughs> and PR. It's fine. You know, it's all PR. It's fine. Uh, but anyway, you know, that's about all I want to talk about with this, but you know, it's Billy Mitchell. I got to milk it for what I can. Now, let's be honest. You know, I want I want those sweet views. But I also always have something to say about this because I don't like that he's suing. And again, it hasn't officially been filed, but I don't like him suing a forum that's talking about yeah. it. And I don't like him suing a YouTuber that brought it all up. And so we'll have to see. I mean, I still feel like all this has actually increased his equity in his brand as opposed to decreasing it and costing him money. I, I guarantee he sold more hot sauce than he would have if he still had his scores and he was and nobody was talking about him. I, I always feel that way. I would say I'm kind of curious how his roots are looking right now during mm. the COVID-19 crisis. Uh, <laughs> Good question. I have not seen any live Billy, so I couldn't tell you. But um, Yeah, I'm kind of curious if he's maintaining that jet mm. black. <laughs> yeah, couldn't tell you, buddy. Couldn't tell you. <laughs> Um, but all right, so that's it for news stories for today. So we've got our game of the week, and we've got our pickup pile of the week, or I should say John has a pickup pile of the week. I have nothing. But, John, yep. go ahead and tell me what is your game of the week this week because you, you teased me a little bit in the beginning before we started the podcast. You said you were curious if I have one of these. So now I you've piqued curious. my interest. So my game of the week is Robot Alchemic Drive. Ah, a little, bit PlayStation of, 2. a little bit of rad. Okay. Do you own this game? I do not at the moment. Oh. It's because I don't like it, though. I You don't like this game? Yeah, we had to come through the store, and I remember hearing about how awesome it was, and I popped it in. I'm like, this game sucks. It doesn't suck, but I didn't like the controls. You need to... Um, the controls definitely take some getting used to. Yes. And there's two control schemes. One, one has you use the L and R triggers to move the legs, and then one just lets you move the legs normally. Um, I do it where you don't use the LNR triggers to move the legs. I just do normal control, uh, and it makes it a lot better. But the game's really fun. It's it's an Earth Defense Force game where you play the pilot of a giant mecha- or mech, mm-hmm. and everything is destructible, just like the the uh, Earth Defense games. They the Earth Defense Force uh, developer made this game as well. That's why I keep talking about it. Uh, and I don't know if you got to any of the cutscenes with the guy doing the ridiculous German accent, but it is so funny. Uh, <laughs> he does the most exaggerated accent, and all of his lines are like yelled at the top of his lungs in this ridiculous accent, and it's freaking hilarious. And there's like no videos on YouTube of him that I could find when I was trying to trying to show people how funny this game is in parts. Uh, but it's just, it's cool. Like um, you can, you can play as a, you play as a character that is a normal sized human and you are, you have your remote control in your hand and you have to go somewhere in the city where you can watch the battle from the best manager. Yeah. Point. Like a rooftop or something. And yeah. And like I was, I, I played it where I landed my character on the shoulder of the mech. I was piloting and then I would just repeatedly punch with the other arm. Um, <laughs> and that you later in the game, they have mechs that can transform into like um, 
the macross type jets and stuff and you could fly around the the battlefield and you're basically fighting like godzilla or gamera nice stuff like that it's just it's cool everything about that sounds awesome except when i played it but you're right it's just a controls thing and i think it just takes time and it is a rare game it's it's got to be up to like 45 50 bucks i think for a loose i think or for a used oh yeah Uh, the the game got really expensive actually i i bought a copy for uh my buddy in Minnesota, I a lot of times I'll just buy a game if it's cheap when I was working at GameStop and I would just send it to him. Sure. Um, I did that with Amplitude and I did that with Ro- Robot Alchemic Drive. And I bought Robot Alchemic Drive for like a buck Ooh. Uh, like 10, I, 12 years ago. I was way and off. Shipped too. it up to him. It's like 90. Is it like 80? 90 yeah. 90 to 150, dude. I'm seeing some go for Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Oh, a brand new one yes. was 140. I might have a new copy. I might have a sealed copy of this at the store, actually. But yeah, about, a, about 100 to 120, if I would say, is the average right now. Yeah, I, I picked up a copy for like a dollar and sent it to my buddy. And I was like, <laughs> dude, you got to play it. And Amazing. then like like a year or two ago, he's like, you know that game you sent me? It's worth like 100 bucks now. It's like, oh, nice. nice. You're like, cool. So yeah, I'll, uh, Robot, I'll, take, I'll take that back. <laughs> Robot Alchemist Drive. It is fantastic. Uh, if you can find a copy, definitely worth playing. And uh, at least play to the cutscenes with the German guy. It's hilarious. Oh, boy. Uh, so what is your game of the week? So my game of the week now, I've I've gone through all of my jewel case PS1 games. So there's going to be no more jewel case. Okay. I've got a few long boxes that I want to talk about. So we maybe have maybe another month or two of PS1 games, and I'll be off it, and I'll have to figure out something else. Neo but Geo Pocket Color. I, I don't have a single Neo Geo Pocket Color game. <laughs> I used to have a bunch, and I when I opened the store, I just sold them all there. But... Uh, so I picked up, it's a PS1 long box and actually I need the jewel case version of this game. It's, it's really hard to find. It only did like a single print of it, but I'm talking about the original D for PS1. Now this game is also on the Saturn and it is on 3DO as well and PC, but D is a, I guess a first person exploration puzzler, like a mist, I would say mist or riven. But it's uh, it starts off where you're like in this hospital and some murder or something happened in there and then you get transported to a castle. And so you're walking around. And it's a three disc PS1 game. Very cinematic. Um, I I don't it's so hard to describe because it really is a puzzle game. Like there's no action. There's no fighting. You just kind of go screen to screen and then you have to pick up an item here that you use somewhere else. Something like that. And it was one of the first PS1 games I played. And I remember that my my older brother had a PS1 that was one of the early model PS ones that would have the laser reading issues. So if you've, if you've, if you had a PS one in the early days, you might remember having to flip it upside down or have it sitting on its <laughs> side. That was because eventually like the, the, the housing that had the laser and it would start to like wear down a little bit and it would make just the slightest distance change for the laser. And so it'd have a hard time reading the disc because the laser was too far from the source. So if you flipped it upside down, obviously you're not, you don't have gravity pulling down on it sometimes on its side anyway. Uh, so our PlayStation started doing that, but we didn't know that. So we bought D we bring it home. We start listening to the, we start, you know, we start the game up. It goes to the black, you know, the white PlayStation screen, the boom. And then it goes to black screen with the PlayStation logo and starts to do like the tingling kind of tingling. And it just would sit there. <laughs> Nothing else. Just, just the, it would just fade out the music. And then just the PlayStation logo just sits there. I'm like, what the hell? So I took the game back to Target, got another one. Does the same thing. Take game back to Target. Third one does the same thing. We're like, what the heck? And then we ended up finding out it was the PlayStation's fault. But it's funny because to this day, when I hear the startup sound for a PlayStation, 
and I start to hear the black screen where it starts like doing like the, the, the jingly kind of, I think of this game every single time. And I'm, I, I wait for the screen to change to the <laughs> game because I just keep thinking like, is it going to wait just like D um, without having any spoilers? I don't think it's really a big deal if I did spoil it, but this game is very dark. It's uh, it, it's like a, you go to like this castle, but it's very like everything's very creepy and very scary. And it's not an action game, so you don't really have jump scares, but it's really set a really good dark mood. Just a really interesting game from my early PlayStation days. So I have a specific love for it, even though it's not particularly a great game necessarily, but just one that always kind of resonated with me. So that's my game. My, uh, D for the my PS1. Uncle talked that game up a lot. He had a 3DO and that was one of the first games he had. He was... I remember distinctly him being like, "Oh, this I got this new console in D, and it's it's so amazing with its graphics and stuff." And and they did a game called D two, which had the same yep. protagonist, and it's for the Dreamcast. And they turned it more into a survival horror, and it's not good. Yeah, with like role playing game elements to it. Yeah, in, in it as well. Yep. And then they also had a game, Enemy Zero, which. Use it's like a sci-fi space game, but had the same main character from D in it. Um, now I forget his name, but the guy who made this game, uh, he died in like a car crash, young, uh, a Japanese guy, and he also did that game. I've got it in my store right now. It's a 3DO game. It's very rare. It's handwritten. He hand wrote on the cover like what number of what number game it was, and it's like a collection of these really wacky games for the 3DO. And he he was a yeah. very like um like popular developer, but also like kind of a popular figurehead back then. So it was kind of a big deal when he passed away. I'm totally spacing on his name and I'm kind of embarrassed by that. Um, I just can't remember it, but it's okay. He's dead now. Well, he can't hurt you. He, he's, he's watching. Okay. He's watching from heaven and he's going to be upset. But anyway, um, so that was my game of the week D it's, it's a weird one. Check out some videos on it. I don't know if I'd recommend playing it, but you could at least watch someone else play it. (laughs) Get so frustrated with it. I played a considerable amount of D2, and uh, that game had uh, something that surprised me on the Dreamcast back in the day, boobies. Wow, legitimate boobies legitimate breasts, you say? Yeah, they're, uh, it's on like a weird demon monster that's like <laughs> bottom half is a plant, but like the top half is lady. Nice. Got some boobies. Nice. <laughs> well, can't really argue with that. So that is our, those are our games of the week. John, what is in your pickup pile of the week this week? So you technically do have a pickup pile because you did get your uh, your mini TurboGrafx 16 consoles. I talked about those last week. Oh, did you? Yeah, okay. I got them. I got well, them I got Tuesday mine today. Right I got my Core Graphics and my Neo Geo Mini last week. Um, and then as far as games, I got Vampire for Xbox One. Uh, I picked up Shadow of the Tomb Raider for Xbox One. Mm. Uh, and then I picked up Dreams, nice. uh, which Dreams is weird. Uh, it's the the interface is very strange, and like I I I would expect that the average customer that buys that is probably going to be like, "What the hell?" <laughs> it's very strange. Um, but yeah, I I'm not super creative. I didn't. Uh, so I didn't make anything in Dreams yet. I ran around as that weird little triangle character, and i I played uh, I played the art uh, art therapy, where you're like a guy in a museum beating crap out of uh, mm. different art pieces, 
and I loaded up that uh, that in- full English breakfast picture that the guy made in Dreams, and I looked at that. Yep, yep. yep. Dreams, but, is, uh, yeah, Dreams is interesting. I mean, it. I can't wait to see what people are doing another year or two, three, four, five years. You know, but yeah, it's also one of those things like you get it and you go, man, I want to make some stuff. And even though they made it about as simple as possible, I don't. It's not easy. <laughs> it's still no. really hard. <laughs> did you have you played it? Uh, I did. I played it right when it came out, actually, and I, uh, I, I actually have a few videos on the YouTube channel of me playing some weird stuff. There's some really fun oh, okay. stuff out there. There's some really neat stuff. Obviously, some limitations on some of it, but some pretty cool stuff. Now, quick question. Uh, so I, I tweeted at you, and also uh, Cornflakes and Jesus, um, and neither, none of you responded. Uh, but uh, <laughs> what games are you? and interested in that are coming out this month anything oh uh no i'm i'm sleeping this month on anything that's coming out i mean i actually i think technically it was the end of april but streets of rage 4 is apparently amazing yep. and i gotta play it um and i found uh, out that uh uh play asia has the bare knuckle 4 which is just streets of rage 4 but in japan but they've got the yeah. bare knuckle 4 collectors and i'm thinking about just buying it just because it's it's so cool, man. I, I do like nice. Streets of Rage a lot, and I have very good memories with it. And I don't know, when I first saw 4 and I saw the animation, I didn't like it. But now when I see it, I really like it. Like, it looks super good. Apparently, every single character that was a playable character in the previous Streets of Rage games is unlockable in the new game. Mm. Uh, and apparently, like, some of them are, like, their attacks are broken, like where they're just so OP that it makes it kind of crazy to play as nice. them. I did see one where they showed like I think it was Axel, and he was just doing an infinite combo on a boss, just juggled him nonstop until he was dead. <laughs> I well, didn't the third game have the kangaroo in it? Yes. Yep. 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 You can unlock the kangaroo. Uh, I believe each of them also has a trophy or achievement for beating the game with that character. Nice. Um, the game I'm most looking forward to in May is uh i play stupid games uh so i'm looking forward to man eater which is a action rpg where you play as a shark Mm. Mm -hmm. it's it sounds like the storyline to jaws the revenge which is the best jaws movie um (laughs) (laughs) it's not um yeah (laughs) that's that's the one where the jaws the the shark from the original movie is stalking the family of I believe Brody mm-hmm. and follows them to a different island completely to murder his family. Um, <laughs> so, so this main eater game, you play as a shark and you like you get to attack humans and stuff, and you upgrade your your shark and like you can get armor for it, and like they they show like street scenes and stuff. So like. I kind of like. It seems like you can get out of the water. Oh boy! At certain points. Um, I'm glad so, yeah, you're basing I really it on science. What the hell that game is? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Um, oh man, that's great. Well, all right, John. That is it for today. Thank you, everybody, as always, for listening and watching. We, uh, if if you don't forget, you can uh, follow John on Twitter at uh, Dryer Combo. You can follow me at Game Trade Greg. If you can, and if you haven't already, you can uh, subscribe to us on YouTube. It's youtube.com slash drop rate and twitch.tv slash the drop rate. 
And uh, I did some extra life streams. I got the big one coming up in October, the 24-hour charity stream. That'll be a big one. Um, and I, I did, when I was quarantined, I did a little bit of streaming, so it was pretty fun. But um, thank you. I, we always do appreciate everybody. Thank you for listening and watching. We'll talk to you next time. Say goodbye, John. See you later. And we'll talk to you next time. Have a good one. Bye-bye.